0: what's up everybody? Oh come on now, you can do better than that. What's going on? What's up everybody? In case you haven't noticed, it's family day and I am so glad that you are here. Now listen, this is how we do it in Kids Church. In Kids Church, I got to hear from the kids to make sure they're awake. I got to make sure they're ready To hear something from God's Word. So we're going to do that. I want to hear from all my kids right here in this room this morning. If you're here on the count of three, I want to hear you. One, two, three. Oh, that was pretty pitiful right there. Actually, I expected a a whole lot more than that. I'm going to give you another opportunity because you're here in the room today. Now we got to bring it. Let's show these adults what we do on three. One, two, three. Hmm. Well, we got a few going on right here. All right, let's do this. Let's give you adults the opportunity to beat that on three. Are you ready? One, two, three. All right, kids, they whipped us to death right there. So we're going to have to do a little bit better than that. But thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here. Are you glad you came to church this morning? Awesome, awesome. glad that you're here. If you haven't ever been to Connections before, welcome. It's so great to have you here. It is family day. We do this uh, every, every couple of months when there's a fifth Sunday or so. We, we have a family day. We love to get together and worship God. And as I, we were doing that, I looked across the audience and saw kids with their hands up. And they're sitting beside mom and dad, grandma, grandpa. And they're worshiping. And, and the whole family worships to get together. And that is a beautiful sight to see, don't you think? Absolutely do so since we invited the kids to come and be a part of our study this morning I felt like I might need to take just a skinny minute and fill them in on where we've been is everybody okay with that? That's good, because some of you sleep through church most of the time anyway, so you probably need to be caught up too. So kids, listen, this is just for you. I'm going to catch you up to what the adults have been doing in the last month or so. Now, while we've been back there in the month of March talking about being individuals and being made in the image of God, and that's been a great study, the adults have been in this room on Sunday morning studying the book of Nehemiah, and that's in the Old Testament. We studied that once or twice showed you how some of the books in the Bible are in the Old Testament and some are in the New. And this book, Nehemiah, is in the Old Testament. And that's what the adults have been studying. So what was happening was, are you kids listening? Yeah. <laughs> what was happening was these people called Israelites, and we've studied the Israelites before, they lived in this city called Jerusalem. Do you remember Jerusalem? Jerusalem. It's an interactive service, just so you didn't know. Yeah so, yeah, so the city called Jerusalem, and it was a beautiful city, and they had great big walls around the city. And those walls stood for how majestic the city was that God had given them. And the walls protected them from people that were outside the city. Are you with me? Well, they didn't obey God. Can you imagine the Israelites, the people that lived inside the city walls, they were given commandments, they were told by God through prophets some things that they were supposed to be doing, and they did not obey God. And so what happened was, God allowed the enemies of Israel to come in and destroy the city. Everybody say, oh, that's terrible. Aww. They came in and they burned the city, and they and they tore down the walls of Jerusalem, and they were actually taken away from their city and they were moved to other countries. So kids, it would be something like this. It would be something like if we came in, you might live in Cramerton or Belmont or Gastonia or Charlotte, and we came in and destroyed the walls of the city you live in and then we made you move, let's just say to Bessemer City. Wouldn't that be awful? Oh, that would be terrible don't send me emails I'm just kidding I love Bessemer City and the people that come from there that's great I love Bessemer City but they had to move somewhere else and so this is what we were studying in here kids is the fact that Nehemiah finds himself in exile that means he was forced to, to move somewhere else and he's living in a complete foreign nation under the rulership of other people and he, feels like God has called him to do something. Now, kids, we've talked about this in children's church before, and adults, we've talked about this in here before, where we feel like God's calling us to do something. Is anybody with me this morning? Yes. He, might, he might make that very, very clear to you and, you, and you just know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's called you, let's just say, Joey and Kelly Weed and Connor, to the mission field. Or or he may have called you to walk next door and knock on your neighbor's door and tell them about Jesus. He, He might call you to be a really good cook. I give thanks to my great God for you great cooks in this room this morning. Whatever it is, but you might know that beyond a shadow of a doubt what he's called you to do. God knocked on Nehemiah's door, so to speak, and he told him, I want you to go back. To Jerusalem. Now, it was a long drive, longer than it is from Bessemer City to here in Belmont. It was a long trek that he had to go. But he told Nehemiah, I want you to go back and I want you to rebuild the walls of my great city. And so Nehemiah asked for permission, of course, from the king who rulership he was under, and he went back to Jerusalem. And kids, when he got there, the walls had been burnt down. They were crumbled. The doors that went in and out of the city, the gates were hanging. Everybody kind of hang like this to the side. Whoever's over there, just say, hey, how you doing this morning? Good to see you. The gates were hanging off their hinges. Things just were in disarray. There was rats running all around the city. Everybody say, ew. Ew. And Nehemiah said, we've got work to do here. And the beautiful thing is that Nehemiah was such a great leader. He had such a great vision about what that city needed to look like that he got a bunch of people to come together, all different walks of life, people who were from the city, people who weren't even from there, people who lived in all the places around. And he brought them in and he said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We're going to bring it back to its stature and and, and how it was before we were exiled. We're going to bring this city back. We're going to take it back. And in their act of putting on a tool belt and a hard hat and rebuilding the physical walls of Jerusalem, they also rebuilt, and this is a great, great part that you may have missed along the way, they rebuilt their worship of their great God. They brought back to their society and to their land their praise, their worship, and and, and what they felt about their great God. Well, they had forgotten a great number of things. And in the process of rebuilding, their memories came back and they realized, wow, we need to worship our God. So they rebuilt the city walls. And that's kind of where Pastor Robert got us to last week, kids. We've been rebuilding a wall now for about six weeks. And there was many, many other things that came with that. But now we see this great city rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem, rebuilt and there's going to be a party. How many of you like a party? Let me ask you this this morning while you're in the mood to raise your hand. How many of you have ever made a promise and not kept it? Come on now. Don't be lying. You're in church. How many of you have ever made a promise and, and you forgot to keep it? You didn't keep it. Now, it could be, uh, and I remember doing this when I was a kid. And I'm going to show my age a little bit here. I remember telling my parents that if they would just... Loan me the money. I like the word loan. My kids tried that on me a lot too. If you'll just loan me the money for a short period of time. See, I was wanting to buy a transistor radio. Anybody know what that is? Okay, just uh, just us, just us. Oh, it's a little radio about this big. And if you reach onto the top, they had a little antenna and you could pull it and it would come out. That made you pick up radio stations that were further away. Y'all know what a radio station is, kids, right? Transistor radio. I wanted that thing so bad and I told them and here comes the promise part If you'll let me have the money to buy this now, I will pay you back Then has anybody ever seen Popeye? He was always making promises He couldn't keep if you'll let me have these hamburgers now, I will gladly pay you on Tuesday Nobody under the age of 40 has any idea who (laughs) Popeye is Let me let me bring it to you like this. Maybe you told your mom you'd clean up your room If she'd let you go outside first Anybody ever made that promise? Oh, but the fellas are outside. They want to play tackle football. I'll clean up my room when I come back in. And the time never comes. We never get back to cleaning up our room. I see mom shaking their head. They've got kids sitting beside them. They're like, hey, you need to be listening here this morning. We make promises that we intend to keep, sort of, but we never get around to keeping. And so we find ourselves here at the end of the book of Nehemiah. And we're gonna see this morning very quickly that there are promises that are not kept. If you've got your word with you, and I hope you do, would you open that up to the book of Nehemiah? I love to see people who are still in church. I'm not uh, putting down you people who have electronic devices and you got your Bibles on there, but I love to see somebody open up this book and have it laying in their lap. Or in my case, they got their glasses on and they pulled it up just a little bit closer. I love it. And we find ourselves at the end of the book of of Nehemiah. So if you're there, I want to take us to chapter 9 very quickly. And we're going to go zoom, 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 9, 10, 11, 12, and find ourselves in 13. Now, chapter 9 of the book of Nehemiah is so amazing. Let me tell you why I think that. I think that because if you would read through there, how many of you read through there in the last week? Chapter 9, be honest. Praise the Lord. we got some people who have. If you haven't, I encourage you to go and do that. Especially if you've been part of our church-wide prayer study. How many of you have been part of that? In a connect group or on your own church-wide prayer study? Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You need to get with it. We have been in the midst of and are releasing our last week of our prayer study this week. If you are involved in that, you have got to take a look at chapter 9 of Nehemiah. What's going on here is that the people get together. And they are listening to the leaders of Jerusalem. The wall is built. There's getting ready to be a party. There's getting ready to be some dedication going on. And right here in chapter 9, right around verse, uh, let's just call it 5, it says that the Levites and a bunch of other people, as Pastor Robert said last week, whose names we can't pronounce, they said, and then there's a semicolon. I love that because when there's a semicolon and when someone says they said, we ought to listen to what they said. Amen? Amen. So listen to what they said. I'm not going to read all of this to you. I just want you to see it. Then I want you to go home and I want you to eat it. I want you to dig into it. They said to the people, quote, stand up and praise the Lord your God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Now I'm going to go back about 40 minutes ago to the start of this service. What I wished had happened, what I heard happen in my ears was this worship team said, stand up and hear the words of the God who is from everlasting to everlasting. Isn't that amazing? Here's all these people, they just built this wall, they've all come together, and there's people from all over the place who have come back, and the leaders say, stand up and hear the word. And then as chapter nine unfolds, and I wish I had time to read the whole thing to you, but they, they've got me on a clock, can you believe that? How many of you be willing to just be here till about two? My wife said, you ain't going to be here. You got to get these people out. Read through there. They worship God with their words. There's a conversation going on between the leaders and God Almighty. Their creator, the, the one who has rescued them. And it starts out by saying, Blessed be your glorious name, and may it be exalted above all blessing and praise. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, and it just continues and goes on and on, and it tells a story. How many of you like to hear a story? Kids, do you like to hear a story? Absolutely you do. We, we talk about that every Sunday. I get up there, and I say, let me tell you a story out of the Bible. Let me show you what God has done. That's what chapter 9 does. The leaders take the people through the story of the Israelites. You'll see in that story that God delivered them from a place called what? Egypt. He brought them out. You'll see in there that at one point God parted the Red Sea and the people walked right through there. You'll see time after time in chapter 9 that as the leaders unfold the story of how they got to the place that they are, God delivered his people after they had not followed his commands. I want that to sink in. There was a process that the children of Israel and Israel itself went through where they worshiped God and said, Lord, we love you. You are our God. We will follow your decrees and your commands. And then they slipped back into their normal lives and the sin that so easily encompassed them and God delivered them out of that every time. Why as you finish up sort of every paragraph for instance it says in here you have kept your promises because you are righteous and so as you read through that this week I just want you to highlight every attribute every time you see where God has come through once again highlight that Pray that. Go back and say, God, you are mighty. You have led them with a pillar of fire, it says, by night and a cloud by day. He will always be there even when we don't feel like he's there. So chapter 9 is this beautiful prayer. Please, please grab a hold of that prayer and see what, what's going on there in chapter 9. It's a beautiful thing that's going on as we go through that. So this entire group of people are spending half their day or more they they're worshiping God they're they're praying they're confessing their sins can you imagine standing in a group of people there's thousands of people around you and the spirit of God hits you in such a way that you just start confessing your sins and the sins of your fathers well it says in the word there that that not only confess their own sins but the sins of of their fathers and so they're they're fasting, and they're praying, and they're confessing, and God is listening. And then a song breaks out, and they're worshiping their God, and musical instruments are are being played. What a great sight that must have been. Well, it would be similar to what happened here this morning, would it not so far? I mean, we all showed up, and and, and, and most of us sung this morning, a, a note or two at least, and some clapped hands, and all of us worshiped, and so There may have been some of us that in the midst of that felt some compulsion, some thing that rose up inside of us and we just said, God, forgive me. And so we confessed our our sins perhaps. And, And so now we're in the midst of listening to God's word out of Nehemiah. So it was similar to what happened here this morning already but in a much larger capacity. It was a group of people that were an entire city. Now even though we don't have time to read through this entire passage this morning, I would encourage you to read through it and highlight, like I said, all of the attributes of God that are in chapter 9. All of the ways that He came through for His people. All of the way that He kept His promises, even though the people didn't keep theirs. Now, I want you to pay special attention to verse 38 of chapter 9. Don't miss verse 38. In the the original text, if you happen to go to there, it was actually verse 1 of the next chapter, but listen to what it says. After they had prayed this prayer and gone through all of the story of how God had brought them out, it says, in view of all this, and this is the people talking, we are making a binding agreement. We're putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. That's important right there that we don't miss that. It's important that we understand that it wasn't just the people that were speaking and saying, this is what we want to do, but the leadership of Israel came in and affixed their seals to it. There's something to be studied there and learned there. You see, when they wanted to make something official... They would use some candle wax and all the kings and priests and all the people who held authority had a, a ring and they would push that ring into that hot wax and seal what had been said. So if we take all the things from chapter 9 and, and, and say that this is what the people want to do, then we say in view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement. Who were they making that binding agreement with? God. And they were putting it in writing and, and, they, and they were affixing their seals to it. So that sounds very much like what? A promise they were making a promise to their most high God they were making a promise that that they would serve God and, and that they would live according to all of his laws and commands what do you think the odds are that they will be able to do that do you know what just hit me and I hadn't even thought to say this this morning do you know why God gave all of those laws and commands to the people in the Old Testament do you know so that they would understand that they can't do it. Do you know how many there were, if you go back and count? There's like 613 different laws and commands that he gave them that they were trying to live under. They couldn't do it. And you say, well, why would God do that? Why would he give them laws and things that they could not do? Because he wanted them and he wanted you and he wanted me to see that we need Jesus. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? He set the whole thing up so that they would get to a point and say to themselves, I can't do this. Have you ever been there? I can't do this, God. And he says, exactly. And that's why I sent my son, Jesus. I just blessed myself. I don't know what's wrong with the rest of you. In chapter 10 of Nehemiah, it lays out for us the exact promises the exact promises that the people made to God. We won't read through those either, but verses 30 through 39 say, this is what we will do. This is how we will live. These are the things that we will not do. Have you ever made promises like that? I have. I've even talked to God like that before and said, God, if you'll do this, I promise I'll do this. Who's done that before? Sure. They laid out all the promises, promises that they were going to keep And then in chapters 11 and 12, it's very, very detailed, and you get into family names and names we can't pronounce, and Nehemiah lays everything out about the people who were chosen to come and live inside the city walls of Jerusalem and the jobs that that they would take and do. And, And in chapter 12, Nehemiah tells us about the dedication ceremony that's about to take place on the wall that's been newly rebuilt. If you ever read through this, about the middle of chapter 12, after the people have been selected who are going to live inside the city, then he describes the, the parade. I love a parade. Well, I'm kind of old school. My dad always watched the New Year's Day parade, so we would get out of bed on New Year's Day. He was generally off work, and we would watch the Macy's parade from, from uh, New York, right? Thank, uh, Thanksgiving time, usher in the season, and then New Year's, you kind of usher it out, and you got to go back to school, and it's kind of a bummer. But it was a tradition and it was a parade. I love to to see the bands from all over the country come down through there and, and floats and balloons and all that stuff. Picture that and the walls of Jerusalem have just been built and they say to themselves, we need to dedicate this, we need to purify this and we need to have a party about it. We need to sanctify it and give it back to God. And so there's a parade and down one side of the walls of Jerusalem there's a, a procession going and there's people who are leading that procession, priests and Levites and, and all the people and there's musical instruments being banged and, and there's uh, songs being sang. There's choirs going down this side of the city. Well, on this side of the city there's the same thing and Nehemiah said he was in that party and he went that way. And so down both sides of the city in chapter 12, you see a parade, a, a procession of choirs and musical instruments and people who are worshiping God as they're walking on the wall that they just built. And we arrive finally at the end of that and see that, that in verse 43, everybody ends up at the house of God. Isn't that beautiful? We're going to have a party. We're going to sing songs. We're going to praise. We're going to beat instruments and then and, and we're going to end up at church. And we're going to give glory to God. So this celebration happens. And they they say at the end of chapter 12 and verse 43 that great sacrifices are, are offered and everyone is filled with joy and the rejoicing could be heard far away. Let me ask you this this morning. When's the last time your rejoicing was heard far away? When's the last time people heard from the house of God rejoicing and they heard it far away? Well, I'm not trying to change your pattern of worship and I'm not trying to say that one way is better than another. We all have our ways that we like to express ourselves in worship, but I know this from reading this, that there was such a noise, there was such a rejoicing coming from the house of God that it was heard far away. Nehemiah says it wasn't just the men, it wasn't just the priests and the Levites who were singing and being loud, it was the women and the children and everybody joined in And so I would encourage us all this morning to think about the last time rejoicing was heard from our lips and from our hearts far away. Then we revive at the final chapter of of Nehemiah, chapter 13. So we quickly get there, and, and it's been a period of time that Nehemiah had left. Remember way back at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, I told you just a while ago when we recapped it, Nehemiah, he had to ask permission from the king of Babylon to even go to Jerusalem. Do you remember that? Well, the time had expired apparently and Nehemiah had to go report back to the king. So, after all of the celebration and everything was set up and everything everybody was doing their job, Nehemiah said I got to go back and see the king. And he did. And then chapter 13 Nehemiah returns. And that was my introduction to today. So, here we are now at Nehemiah part 2. Nehemiah returns from going back to see the king of Babylon and gets permission once again to return home and let's see what Nehemiah finds in chapter 13 when he returns. The very first thing that Nehemiah finds when he returns is that there's a man by the name of Tobiah who has been allowed to stay inside a storeroom in the church. Now, if you remember, Tobiah was friends and was part of the group of people who were heckling Nehemiah and the workers while they were rebuilding the wall. Well, he was one of those guys that was out on the outskirts going, I don't think this is going to work. You should probably just give up. You don't even want to be part of this. Don't even worry about it. He was one of those people. And on top of that, he was also a descendant of a people that God had said were forbidden to even be in his house. And Nehemiah comes back from having gone to see the king again, and finds that Tobiah has been allowed to stay in the house of God. He's occupying one of the storerooms. As a matter of fact, they had moved out everything that was in there, all the things that were supposed to be in there, and he was in there having a good old time. He had his Xbox set up and had his TV on the wall, probably did a 65-inch screen like some of you, and had that hung on the wall, and he's hanging out in the house of God. He's living inside. Let me make this New Testament for you, if I can, for just a minute. What are our bodies? The temple of the Holy Spirit. They're the temple of God. In the Old Testament, there had to be a dwelling place. There had to be a tent or a structure or a temple in which God came and dwelled. But when Jesus came and when we receive Christ in our lives as our Lord and Savior, we become that temple, do we not? Well, here's Tobiah after Nehemiah comes back living in the temple. He's not supposed to be there. He's foreign to what God said he wanted in the temple. And here he is. Let me ask you a question this morning. What's living in your temple that shouldn't be there? Have you made room for, moved out some things that God had placed in there that were good and wholesome and made room for somebody or something that shouldn't be in the temple? this morning. You see, we like to compartmentalize. We like to find little doors and open them up, and we allow things to creep back into our lives and live and exist inside of us. But God says, I don't have room for that, and I'm not going to put up with that. And so we see as the story unfolds here that Nehemiah comes back to town, goes into the temple, and sees that Tobiah's living in there. And what does chapter 13, verse 8 and 9 say that Nehemiah did about that? He ripped that man's stuff out of that room and threw it out the front door. It was now on the sidewalk. Get out, it said. And then it says that Nehemiah purified the room. He said, y'all got to come in. We got to pray over this thing. We got to purify this thing and get it back to what it is. And then it says in in verse 9 that the room was restored to its original purpose to store the things of the house of God. And I love the the parallel that we can get out of that this morning. The fact that there's areas in our life perhaps that, that we need to identify and we need to get ruthless with those areas of our life. When we find that something is living inside the temple of the Holy Spirit that shouldn't be there, we need to get ruthless with it and we need to rip it out. We need to drag it out and throw it on the front sidewalk. So what is it this morning that God would show you in your own life that's living in his temple that needs to be gone? And then do you have the courage and the boldness based on God's word to do the ripping and the throwing out the front door? That's the question this morning. So Nehemiah goes in and he he says, you got to get out of here. And he throws that enemy of God's house right out on the front doorstep. He throws his things out. He purifies the room. And then it's restored back to its original condition. My prayer this morning is that if there's something going on in our lives and in our hearts that shouldn't be there, that is residing, that we've given permission to reside in the temple of God, that we would be ruthless with it this morning. That we'd rip it out and that we we would pray and, and have that area of our lives purified once again. And then here's the promise from God, is that if we'll do our part, he will restore that area of our life so that it's used again for its original purpose. When we notice that something has taken up residence in our temple, we had better deal with it immediately. Now, Nehemiah didn't knock on the door, as would be our normal society that we live in. Nehemiah didn't come up to Tobiah's room and knock on the door and wait on him to answer. And when he came to the door, say, well, huh, how are you doing today, Tobiah? Now, it's good to see you. And so I came so that we could have a conversation and hopefully we can come to a mutual decision here, uh, how we could probably get you out. See, this room was desicc... No. Nehemiah wasn't in the mood to have a conversation about it. And we shouldn't be in the mood to have a conversation when we see something in our life that shouldn't be there? When are we going to throw the things out of our temples that should not be in there? When will we get serious about the purification process that God wants so desperately to do in our lives? When will we get ruthless with sin? Next, Nehemiah realizes that the Levites and the musicians were, were no longer in the temple doing what they were supposed to be doing. You see, as he left to go back to see the king, the Levites and, and musicians were there serving in the church, in the temple. They were doing their job. But when he comes back from visiting with the king, he realizes they're not there. After he throws Tobiah out, purifies the room in the temple and restores it to order, he realizes nobody's here working. Where's the Levites? Where's the musicians? Why are we not doing this? And as we read through that, we understand that they're gone, that they took off and went back, the Bible says, to their lands. Why? And that was Nehemiah's question. That should be our question when we read through that. Why did they go back? And we find out two things happened. One, the people who were supposed to be bringing portions of what they earned to the storehouse that was going to take care of the Levites and the musicians were no longer bringing their portions. People had stopped giving. Will you say that with me? People had stopped giving. They weren't doing it anymore. And so the Levites and the musicians who were supposed to be there serving in the temple and as part of the services and the ceremonies that took place, they couldn't support their families. They couldn't eat. There was nothing for them to to be able to support themselves. And so they went back and did what they knew to do, and that was they went back to their own lands, and they were in their fields working. And Nehemiah said, "Oh no, this shouldn't be." And he called them back and said, "No, you are called to work and to do ministry in the house of our God." And he called the people who were supposed to be bringing portions and said, "You have stopped bringing your portions into the temple. You need to start that up again." You said that you would keep this commitment and these promises. And so the people started to bring that again, and Nehemiah restored to God's house the Levites and the musicians that were there. You see, the two things that happened was, number one, people stopped giving, and number two, the Levites and the musicians, they gave up on the calling that God had put on their life. Well, even though it was tough times and they didn't have anybody supporting them anymore, they turned and ran back to their lands. And when I read that, I thought to myself, God, don't let us give up on the calling that you've put on our lives. Ministry's not always easy. And for some of you who faithfully volunteer in certain areas of not only Connections Church, but other places and other ministries, it's not always easy, amen? Amen. But don't give up on the calling that God has put on your life because other people fail to do what they're supposed to do. He restored them to the commitment that they had made to continue to bring portions into, the, into the, te- the temple so that the Levites and musicians could go back to work. Next, he found that they were working on the Sabbath. They had made a commitment not to do any business, not to carry any loads, not to do any buying and selling on the Sabbath. And I'd love to go into the Sabbath, the Sunday discussion with you, but we don't have time for that this morning. But there is something to be said for having a designated time in our day and in our week to worship our God. Amen? There's something to be said for that. It should not be overlooked. And these people had made a commitment to God and put it in writing, and it was affixed with the seal of the kings and the priests that they would not do these things on the Sabbath. And when Nehemiah came back, he found that they were doing that, that they were working, they were buying and selling. And so he drove those people out of the city walls and shut the gate and said, You're not here to do that on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is dedicated to a time of rest and to worship our God. They had made a promise and they had abandoned their promise for money. That's what they were doing when Nehemiah came back. And lastly, Nehemiah had realized that some of the people had allowed their sons and their daughters to marry outside of Israel. There were lands that were outside of the nation of Israel and God had specifically said, don't let your sons and your daughters marry people from those places. Now don't get me wrong this morning and please do not put a racial slant on what God is saying to us in that. God is not saying anything besides He did not want them marrying and forming families with unbelievers. That's what God had said. To them. And when Nehemiah came back, he found that there were people doing that. And what was happening was families were coming together and people were starting to speak languages other than the language of Israel and worship other gods other than the God of Israel. And and Nehemiah came back and said, No more. And he actually had to have a strong worded conversation with some of those men, as you'll read in chapter 13. He drug them out and beat them, he pulled out their hair, he wanted them to get the point that this was not allowed and that they should not be doing this anymore. And so as the book of Nehemiah closes, what we see is once again order established in Jerusalem and things brought back to be the way that they should be once again. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me this morning? I love this book and I know that we've all enjoyed reading through it and finding all of the different things that God would have for us out of the book of Nehemiah. Isn't it amazing that just out of a story of a wall being rebuilt, so many things can come to us and be a part of our lives, be applicable to our lives. And so here's what we don't want to happen. What we don't want is this that when all is said and done, oftentimes there's more said than done. Let me say that again. This is what we don't want. We don't want that when all is said and done, for there to just be more said than done. You see, we tend to be a people of talk but not action. And I know that the book of Nehemiah has called me to, to, to action, to more action. And I've seen some things in my own life just reading through the book of Nehemiah and, and the story of this wall being rebuilt that I'd never seen before. And so in this last section, talking about the commitment that people made to God, to their God, who they were they were sincere about it, they, they, they put it in words, they put it in writing, they had their leadership affix their seal to it, but then they failed to follow through. I wonder, I wonder if in this service this morning and those of you who are watching online, I wonder if there's anybody who would say, Pastor, I've definitely failed in that area before. I've made commitments to God. I made him promises. I intended to keep them. I put them in writing, but I failed. I've got good news for you this morning whoever you are because I'm in that category he is a forgiving God he is an everlasting God as I started with in chapter 9 every time the people of Israel failed miserably when they asked God came and rescued them and redeemed them and provided for them well they were in the middle of of a desert complaining And God gave them food. They were thirsty. He gave them water. He never let them down. He never let them fail. I'm here to tell somebody this morning one more time. He will do the same for you. He will not fail you. It doesn't matter how many times you have failed him. It doesn't matter how many commitments you've broken. It doesn't matter how many promises that you've made and I've made. And we have failed to follow through with them. We can say this morning to our God forgive me. I want to do better. And so I would just ask all over this room, and I'm already standing, so I'm not asking you to do something that I am not doing. If you would like to say that to God this morning, God, I've failed you somewhere along the way, but I I want to do better. I need help from you this morning. Would you just stand all over this room? Amen. kids some of you aren't very old you hadn't lived very long but I know because I get to be with you on a regular basis that you know who God is and I know that you know that he's there for you so I know that you may have failed him so I would invite you to stand up with mom, dad, grandma, grandpa if you, if you need God to, to help you will you stand and in doing so this is what we're saying And I would invite you to pray right along with me. God, our heavenly Father, your name is so beautiful. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords and you have provided for me over and over again, God, and you have never failed me. But God, there's been times when I have failed you. You have brought back things to my memory just while I've been up here today, God, praying and, and speaking your word, that I have failed you. But I can't think of one time that you have let me down and failed me. And so I, I worship you in this moment. God, your word says that my, my body should be a living sacrifice. And so I'm, I'm giving it to you this morning. And these people that are standing all across this room are offering up this sacrifice to you right now and saying, God, we have failed you at times. Maybe we failed you this week. Maybe we failed you this morning, God. We might have failed you since we got to church this morning. But you have never failed us. Would you tell him that? Would you, would you just tell him, you have never failed me, God. And I worship you for that this morning. And so Lord, I ask as the leaders did at the beginning of chapter nine of your word of Nehemiah, let us stand and let's give worship and praise to our God who is from everlasting to everlasting because he will forgive us when we ask and he will provide for us when we are in need and he will heal heal us when we are sick and in need and and he is always present for whatever it is that you need this morning we love you God we may fail you again this week but we want you to know as your people that our intention is to keep our promises that our intention is to lift you high that our intention is to keep the laws and the decrees in your word that our intention is to love people as you have loved us our intention God this morning our promise to you is that we will give it our best shot. That we will do it with all that we have inside of us. That we will love you with all of our hearts and all of our mind and all of our soul. And that we will pour everything into our worship of you this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name.